You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hey guys, this is Dr. Abby Eblen with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I'm here with my friends, Dr. Carrie Bedient of the Fertility Center of Las Vegas and Dr. Susan Hudson of Texas Fertility Center. Hey. Hey guys, how are you doing? Doing Doing good. Well, we are really excited because we have been in a hotel room in Las Vegas for the last two days filming several episodes of Fertility Docs Uncensored. And so this is our very last uh, one that we're going to film right now. And so Dr. Uh, Hudson and I, Susan and I, were talking about what we should do on our very last night out in Las Vegas. So we need to ask our resident expert, So Carrie's going to give us some recommendations, I think. Well, I mean, you two seem like the wild child type. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm pretty sure you should start your night at at one of the lovely local bars and restaurants. You can always go down to the Strip, which is nothing if not entertaining. Um, My... um, my family at this point only goes down there when we have out-of-town visitors. However, it is full of any place you could ever want to eat. And the people watching is truly phenomenal. And so, because you will see people from all walks of life doing everything that they want. And then I think you guys should go to a nightclub. There's Hakkasan. There's uh, a dozen other places. I'm a nerd. so I, When you I say have, nightclub, what does that mean exactly? I mean <laughs> like the full-on nightclub where you put on a cute little outfit and shoes that are sky high. And you have to look um, deep in my closet for those shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just go dance and you shake what your mama gave you. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure, being the wild children that you are, that you should go see the Thunder Down Under or the Chippendales. <laughs> so, okay. So give me, you know, I've never been to one of those kind of shows. I'm thinking you have. So tell me what those are like. So I actually have not been oh, one because okay. I am I, I moved to Las Vegas five years ago and at that point I was so already. So I think you need to go with lady. us tonight, then, huh? Uh, I don't think they allow children there, and I'm pretty sure I have to babysit tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there is, I mean, there's really a lot of wonderful things if you go down to the Bellagio Fountains and just see the. I'm going to say this wrong because I always do the uh, Chaluli. Chihuly. Chihuly. Um, Glass flowers in the Bellagio is wonderful. I have to say that's one of the things I miss about the Mayo Clinic. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All of the glass. Just the Mm beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful. Um, I really like the Cirque du Soleil shows. There's O, which is the water show. There's Ka, which tells – it's the only Cirque show to show a story with it. They've got a new mobster show. There's some of the music shows. There's the impersonators. I mean, there's there's a ton to do here. And any fancy restaurant or food, or even unfancy, I mean, the beautiful thing about Vegas is everybody has an extension of their restaurant here. So my husband and I love Chicago deep dish pizza, and there's a Giordano's down on the Strip. And you can get New York-style pizza. You can get... Uh, Southern barbecue. You can get all sorts of things here. So Garrett's Popcorn, which is a, a Chicago-based mm-hmm. popcorn, they've got a, a, a shop here. So, so if so. I wanted to gamble, where would you recommend that I go to gamble? A casino. <laughs> <laughs> so in the five years that I've been here, I and, and before then, I have never spent a nickel 
gambling. So there's a ton of places. Depends what you like to play. There's poker. There's blackjack. There's roulette. There's I, I have all to the- say it's a little odd when you come to Vegas and like the restaurant we went to last night. Like there's this little side room that's just a little miniature casino, and that you can be gambling when you go to the pharmacy and it's i mean it's, they, it's amazing there are machines whether those are slot machines or video poker in pretty much every place you go whether it's the gas station or the grocery store but at this point we never see them i mean my my kids and i when we're walking through grocery store or wherever it may be just it doesn't even register at this point <laughs> Well, I think one of the funny things, one of our earlier guests today mentioned that when people go to church, some churches even accept chips chips, chips. from the casinos yeah. for offering. Yeah. Hey. And it works. It that's totally very works. I mean, that's the this city is in many respects um, driven by the strip and the tourist inju- in- industry. Now, there's a lot of other business and um, and endeavors here as well, but... But that is a large part of what drives this town. And so even though the Strip is a tiny little three-mile three mile street in the entirety of Vegas. So most of Vegas has absolutely nothing to do with it. But many livelihoods do depend on that. And so, you know, poker chips are a way of life. Although I don't think anybody's ever come into the office trying to pay their copay with, <laughs> with the blue chip. Which brings us to our topic today. Our topic today is we're going to talk about irregular periods. That We see that a lot in our practice. Um, I think probably a patient, at least in my practice, that comes in, it's a common, common complaint, probably one of the most common. What do you guys think? I'd say probably about yeah. half of my patients have, have a history of irregular periods. And part of what our job is is trying to figure out what's causing those periods to be irregular. So what are the kinds of things that you do to evaluate that further? History, it's always top of the line because you want to find out, have they always been irregular? Is that a new thing? You want to know what else is going along with it. Do they have... So let me stop you there. Why is it important if it's a new thing? Well, the first reason for irregular periods or particularly missed period, and this sounds goofy when you're talking about a patient patient population that is trying to get pregnant and struggling, but the first thing we always go to is, are you pregnant? Because sometimes women have been through so many false starts of, oh, I think I'm pregnant. They're not even checking the pregnancy test anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they come in to see us and we find out, hey, your periods are regular. We're going to check a pregnancy test and make sure that you really need us at all. Because if you don't, we're not offended by that. So I have a funny story that I just thought of as you said that. I had a patient who came to see me and she had been on a fertility medicine because she'd had irregular cycles. She was on Clomid. And for some reason, she was really frustrated because the Clomid had just stopped working. Her cycles had gotten really erratic and she was just so frustrated. And so we we talked a little bit and then we went into to do our ultrasound. And we went in to do the ultrasound we realized not only was she pregnant, but she was in the second trimester of her pregnancy and didn't know it. <laughs> I, I, I had a patient one time who came in for a new patient appointment, and she was probably between 32 to 34 weeks pregnant. Okay, well, that tops my story. My patient was in <laughs> yeah. 14 weeks. So. I, I put in the, the ultrasound, and all I could see was ba- the top Baby of baby's head. head. And it was like, oh, well, let's take a look with the abdominal ultrasound and see what we see. And, and sure enough, she was you know, about a month away from delivering. And I think sometimes we as physicians have to remind ourselves to do simple things like that. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the answer is right there. You just Mm -hmm. have to look for it. 
one of my good friends in residency, she was like, oh, my periods are really weird. And I don't, I don't know. And I, and I immediately started going through that. Well, we need to check these labs and we need to do this and we need that. And you need an ultrasound and da, da, da. Yeah. She was pregnant. And she's like, could I be pregnant? You're like, oh yeah, you probably could be pregnant. Yeah. So some, sometimes patients are pregnant and then sometimes there, there are other issues. So I, I think what we see most often is um, a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, which I personally think is a terribly named condition. And why do you think that? Well, to me, a cyst is something that's over two centimeters and shouldn't be there at the beginning of the cycle. Well, when we look at ladies' ovaries with PCOS, they actually have lots of little bitty tiny follicles. So it should be polyfollicular ovarian syndrome. So whenever follicles are good. That's a follicles good Follicles are good. Yeah. We want to have follicles. Actually, we would much rather have too many follicles than not enough. That's a whole lot easier battle for mm-hmm. us to fight. It's the alternative for and, sure. And on that other end, sometimes people who are having those irregular periods may have diminished ovarian reserve or ovaries that are acting older. Sometimes it is caused by a, <clears throat> a breakdown in communication between the hormones being produced by the brain that typically communicate with the ovaries. And those hormones just aren't being produced. And that can be from either a malfunction of those particular organs, you know, product of a hemorrhage or infection, things like that. Sometimes it's a very low birth weight, uh, excuse me, very low regular weight, not birth weight. I was thinking too far ahead <laughs> for that one. Um, very low weight. All of those things can can make a difference. I've even had a patient who is actually born with a little defect in her brain mm-hmm. that that severed that connection. And so that's the reason why her periods weren't happening regularly. You know, I, I feel challenged sometimes to explain kind of that in detail to patients. And so the way I kind of put it, and maybe this is simplistic so I can understand and explain it better, but I sort of say that, you know, with PCOS, you have, most women have lots of eggs. In fact, sometimes they have more <laughs> eggs than the average person. And eggs are like seeds in the soil, And they're there, but they just don't have the water and sunshine to make them grow. And so the water and the sunshine comes from the hormones in the brain, and it helps those seeds grow. And so really what we do, I think, in our practice to try and get those eggs to develop and mature and grow and bloom, if you will, is we have to figure out what medicines we have to give the patient to make that happen. So I I feel really optimistic when I see patients that have PCOS because, you know, it's to me, for most patients, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but for a lot of patients, it's a fairly easy fix. One mm-hmm. one tricky thing about PCOS, though, is is it can be a little um, laborious for us to actually diagnose it because it's not just one simple thing. How how do you diagnose PCOS? So go by the Rotterdam criteria. Goal is to make sure that they number one, it's some of the clinical criteria. Do you have irregular periods? We define irregular periods. So outside of the window of 21 every 21 to 34 days or so. So two two short cycles that are shorter than 21 days and cycles that are longer than 34 days. Exactly. So irregular periods is one criteria. And then you need to also meet, I kind of feel like I'm on my board exam. Sorry about that. We can we can chime in. You have to have a certain number of microfollicles or antrofollicles together. And then 12 12 or more kind of puts you in that PCOS range. 
And then last is hyperandrogenism um, or essentially male hormone levels that are too high. And that can be a laboratory diagnosis that we make or that can just be by symptoms. So a lot of women with PCOS come in and they have more hair growth on their upper lip, their chin, their chest, their back. And I'm not talking about the few random stray hairs that everybody is entitled to. I'm talking about a more complete development of those follicles into the terminal hairs that are the the black, really coarse hairs, not the really fine hairs that everybody has on their, their face and their body, but the thick, darker hairs that that once they're there, they don't go away. The the things also, we can also look at someone who has severe acne. And mm-hmm. when we were talking about those laboratory criteria, looking for actual hormone levels like testosterone, mm-hmm. DHEA, S, and other things that may be elevated that could be contributing to this. And in about 50% of the cases, too, patients tend to be overweight. And it's really hard to know if it's a cause or an effect. But we see at least that correlation of obesity. And it's kind of like diabetes. If you know know somebody that's gotten diabetes later in life, you can sort of get PCOS and then you can kind of lose it. So if you lose weight, hormonally, you change. And a lot of times, or some women will start to ovulate then and have regular cycles. Whereas if you gain even as little as five or 10 pounds, it can put you in that range where you can develop PCOS again. I, I, I often think of PCOS as a spectrum. Not all PCOS women are going to look the same. There are some that are going to be a little easier to treat, some that are going to be a little harder to treat. If I have a woman with PCOS that has 12 follicles on each ovary, that's going to be a whole lot easier situation than somebody who has 40 follicles on each ovary. Mm-hmm. And also looking at, at the impact of weight, because many of the medications we give the weight of the woman involved makes an impact of how much we have to give and how well they respond. And so even just exercise as they're going through can make them more responsive and their hormonal system reacts better to what we're giving them to develop the follicle or egg that's otherwise not developing. So kind of leading into that, thinking about what if somebody has PCOS, what are some things that they can do that will make either whether medications or lifestyle changes that will make them more responsive to some of the fertility medicines we give. Exercise is always first on the list of things that I recommend because even if you're not seeing weight loss from the exercise, just the sheer exercise alone can start sensitizing some of those cells, particularly to insulin, which is tied into the system. We don't know the exact biochemistry and physiology of how PCOS works, but we do know some of the things that can mitigate it. And exercise is a big one. And I think sometimes, too, if women have higher insulin levels, it just simplistic way to understand it is it just throws off your male hormones. You tend to have more male hormones if you have higher insulin levels. Exercise burns sugar, and, it, and therefore you have less insulin. So it, it's really tied very closely together. And so sometimes using medicines like metformin can mm-hmm. make a woman's ovaries more sensitive to the medications. Um, metformin by itself is actually pretty lousy at, at helping people get pregnant. Um, it may help you get a little bit more regular periods, but if you're wanting to get pregnant, using fertility medications with the metformin is really going to be a better combination than it by itself. And about 80% of people actually ovulate on oral fertility medicine. Um, We try and get the person's body to produce those hormones from the brain. 
that are necessary to mature the egg. If that doesn't work, though, we can always just give that medicine, but it's in the form of an injection. And it's a little bit more complex to do it, a little bit more expensive and a little bit more risky to do that. Mm -hmm. Higher risk of getting too many babies. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The goal is for people to leave, leave our office and go back to their OB with one happy, healthy baby. No litters of children, which, <laughs> which is actually more of a risk in PCOS when you're Absolutely. going really through some is. of these advanced treatments with the injectable medications and insemination or just timed intercourse. You have to be very careful that all of a sudden you don't go from zero eggs being produced to five or six eggs produced because I tell my patients, I don't want you to be on the cover of Time, Time Magazine with six kids and I don't want to be there with you. That's what I tell my patients as well. Let's talk a little bit about what medicines we can use. So metformin, as you mentioned before, mm -hmm. clomiphene citrate is a medicine that will help produce those particular hormones in the brain. Letrozole is, is typically first line for anybody who has PCOS where we're trying to do ovulation induction or getting an egg to be produced where it's not otherwise. And, and that's a little bit of a change in practice that we've seen happen over just the last few years. Mm -hmm. Used to, clomiphene citrate was the the mainstay, but I think recent data is showing us that we're having higher chances of pregnancy and fewer side effects and less risk of multiples with the letrozole. Mm -hmm. So to kind of sum it up, I guess you can say about PCOS, generally patients with PCOS have a really good number of eggs. It's just their brain doesn't really produce the hormones at the right time to kind of mature those eggs. And so that's in contrast to another dilemma that women have when they have irregular cycles, and that is diminished ovarian reserve that you talked about before, Susan. Mm -hmm. So when ladies don't have many eggs left, the, the brain's having to work really hard to send those signals to make the ovary produce a healthy follicle that month. And so sometimes as we are kind of leading into the end of our reproductive lives, those periods become more irregular. So it's important for us to, to figure out, you know, do we have too much or not enough? Because one of them, we have a little bit more time and the other, we need to be working on this yesterday. Mm-hmm. And diminished ovarian reserve, we typically diagnose that by doing an ultrasound and seeing very few antral follicles or those mini potential eggs growing, or when the hormones coming from the brain have to be way overactive in order to get even something close to the normal response. So instead of levels being low of those hormones, we're actually looking at them and finding them to be very high because the brain is essentially yelling at the ovaries, hey guys, do your job, grow me some eggs, and they're just not. So how do you figure out if somebody's got diminished ovarian reserve? Combination of ultrasound and blood tests. Um, I, I think none of our ovarian reserve testing is perfect, but when we put kind of the, the different tests together, I think we get a very good idea. Do we have a quality and or quantity issue? Or both. Or both. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we have a, a very small segment of our population who have something that we call hypothalamic amenorrhea. Fancy word for saying the brain isn't sending the message to make us have periods. <laughs> and the nice thing about hypothalamic amenorrhea is that... There's a nice thing about hypothalamic amenorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it kind of goes up there with PCOS and that these women have eggs. Right. They're just not being produced because as much as it has to, as much as it stinks to have to give somebody medication in order to get them pregnant, I would much rather give them medication to get them pregnant with 
their own genetic material if possible, because that typically makes them much happier. So what you're saying about diminished ovarian reserve is there's really not a lot you can do about that if you're a patient. Is there anything you can take or anything you can do to enhance your eggs or increase the number of your eggs? Or Most of the data on that is really not very strong. So you will see lots of information out there on various supplements and other things that you can do, you know, stopping smoking is a big one, cutting down alcohol, all of those things are going to help, but there's nothing that's going to truly recover the amount. So if you have two antral follicles, you're not all of a sudden going to go up to 12. So back to what you said before, with PCOS, you have a lot of eggs. The good news about hypothalamic amenorrhea is you have a lot of eggs, but unfortunately with diminished ovarian reserve, you just don't have a lot of eggs and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. So you might want to move to more aggressive treatment, maybe more quickly with that condition. Correct. And, and with the hypothalamic amenorrhea, generally speaking, this is the one time that we probably lean towards the injectable medications in younger patients as compared to what what we would do for somebody with PCOS. If we gave injectable medications to our PCOS patients, they would very likely way overstimulate and lead to that higher order multiple situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But the hypothalamic amenorrhea patients really need a combination of hormones to make their ovaries respond correctly. Just so our listeners will kind of get an idea of what a person looks like with hypothalamic amenorrhea, you guys would probably agree, like somebody who's a marathon runner is a good example of at least the type of, not that every runner has hypothalamic amenorrhea, but but it's patients that tend to exercise a whole lot. They tend to be on the thinner side of things. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the body's saying that, you know, now it's just not a great time for you to be pregnant because you're, you're, there's too much physical or psychological stress in your life. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it on an evolutionary basis, the body wants to protect itself. And you don't want to have to think about supporting a second life when the spend calories, extreme physical stress. Exactly. So if you are, you know, running a marathon each day or an ultra marathon, and you're extremely meticulous about what you eat, then you are running a higher risk of having that. And again, it certainly doesn't apply to every athlete, but it is more likely to occur to them just because calories in it tends to be lower than calories out. And the body sees itself as in that deficit and doesn't want to put itself further at risk by getting pregnant. So Susan, if somebody asked you, if a patient said, okay, yeah, maybe I exercise a little bit too much. And they said, what do you, what would be a normal exercise pattern over the course of a week? My, what I encourage patients to do is life in moderation. Okay. So (laughs) even moderation. (laughs) Yes. I mean, everything in moderation. So exercise is great for you when you're trying to get pregnant. Exercise is great for you when you're, when you're actually pregnant. Um, but it is not the time to start training for a marathon. It is not time for pretty much any type of exercise that has the word extreme <laughs> in front of it. We want you to be safe and we want you to be healthy. And and just like Carrie mentioned, you know, you're you're essentially wanting to to grow this little being within you and your body needs to know that you have enough reserve to support both you and that baby. You know, in Nashville in April, we have something called the Country Music Marathon. So my antenna goes up about January, February when somebody shows up in my practice and says, you know, my periods have really gotten crazy. And, you know, then I start talking to them more and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm training for the Country Music Marathon. 
you know, sometimes it's just something like that. You, you think you're being healthy and you are, but your body just sees it as a stressor and it just kind of shuts down your ovulation for a time period. Absolutely. And, and I'd like to say that, you know, we don't tell you to stop absolutely exercising, you know, because we know that people who do tend to like to run in marathons and things like that, that that's a huge stress reliever for those individuals. And so, but bringing it down a notch um, can often help improve that fertility mm-hmm. outcome. And I tell patients too, you know, it's hard to know what the actual prescription is for each individual person, but I agree, you know, maybe exercising five days a week rather than seven days a week. And, you know, I'm a runner, but I'm not, I don't run really fast. So if somebody tells me that, oh, I run a seven minute mile, to me, that's pretty intense. So I say, you know, maybe 11 or 12 minute mile might be better than a seven minute mile. So it's the intensity of exercise. Um, there's data to show that there's the types of exercise are different. So if you're a runner versus maybe a swimmer, you know, you may have a different set point for the type of exercise and the amount that you can do. I mean, the foods that you eat too. And, and Carrie, what are your thoughts about that on the different types of foods? I think it really depends on on what you're looking at, whether you're talking about more of a PCOS picture or more of a hypothalamic amenorrhea picture. For PCOS, because it's so associated with insulin abnormalities, oftentimes we want people to be more mindful of the simple carbohydrates that they're taking in. And carbohydrates by themselves are, are wonderful. That's the immediate fuel for our brain. We need them. So you never want to cut them off completely, but making sure that you're getting them in a more complex form rather than, I would rather see somebody eating a piece of legit whole wheat bread rather than plain white rice or a plain piece of Wonder Bread. Um, In comparison, your hypothalamic amenorrhea patients tend to not be eating enough in sheer volume, and they tend to be very restrictive with everything, particularly fats. And so they need to make sure that they are getting enough. Now, again, there is not a clear... Prescription. Prescription yeah. for if you eat X number of calories a day of which so many grams are carbohydrates versus fats versus proteins, that that will work. So many times I send those patients to a nutritionist to start gradually bulking things up because they're oftentimes very set in their patterns and they've been living this way for a long time. And it's it's healthy in many respects, but it's maybe just not quite enough to support some of those higher level functions within the body. You know, and just as a side note, in our neck of the woods, we have Kroger's and I don't, I'm not trying to plug Kroger's here, but they have the little clinic and they actually have nutritionists in the clinics in Kroger's and patients can sign up to see a nutritionist and That's really cool. walk through the grocery store. And, you know, if you eat cereal, the nutritionist can tell you what, what type of cereal you should be eating. I think Hy-Vee in the Midwest uh-huh. also has a similar program uh-huh. like that too. So, you know, our listeners may want to check in their area because minute clinics have really branched out. It's not necessarily just, you know, treating sinusitis and ear infections. They've branched out to treat, you know, nutritional difficulties. That's a great resource. For any of us, I think it's a great resource. So um, one of the cool things about particularly the nutrition is that oftentimes when a patient resets that in their life, they don't need us at all. Things fall mm-hmm. into place yeah. after that. That's I mean, right. I, I had a patient who she had PCOS. She really needed to lose weight before we could attempt any major type of treatment. And in the process of losing weight, she got pregnant on her own. Yeah. And that's I, the best. That's, that's happened more than once. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. So, ladies, it was great to talk to you about these different causes of irregular periods. I know it's helped a lot of our listeners, and um, I've enjoyed 
being with you guys in Vegas during the last few days. Any last words of wisdom? It's a pleasure to have you both here. Come back (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that'll that'll be, we'll be signing off for Fertility Docs Uncensored. Great to have you. See you soon. See you next time. Bye. Bye.